Hi, this is Nicole Tyson. Welcome to this month's JPEG podcast. We are actually recording this month's podcast from Melbourne, Australia, where Dr. Paula Hillard is presenting a morning session here at the World Congress of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology. It's Tuesday, December 3rd, and Dr. Paula Hillard is presenting a talk on Your Name and Lights, Getting Published. As we transition to Dr. Hillard's talk, please enjoy some of the very unique and special sounds of some Melbourne penguins. Good morning and welcome. I'm going to go ahead and do this um, presentation as if there were a large audience, and there is not, but welcome if you are listening in podcast land, because we are going to broadcast this as a uh, JPEG uh, broadcast. So my name is Paula Hillard, and the title of the workshop that I had done, along with a colleague at NASPEG, was How to Write a Good Manuscript and Get It Published, and so that was the original title. The title I was given for this Ah, what, one moment. The title was um, Your Name in Lights and Getting Published. So this is uh, a little jazzier of a topic. So getting published. And as I note, my colleague, Dr. Frank Biro, who is professor of pediatrics at Cincinnati Children's, uh, University of Cincinnati, um, is um, did the workshop with me initially. And um, very much to his credit, the first part of the workshop will be um, many of his ideas and his thoughts on actually writing the manuscript. And then I'll give my, pers my perspective uh, as the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology. So um, uh, sort of a two-part in terms of disclosures, I've done some consulting, and the, uh, I would say that, that none, the only uh, disclosure I have that relates to this particular uh, topic is that, that uh, there is uh, a stipend as editor-in-chief of the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology that comes to my institution, does not come directly to me. So in terms of objectives, the objectives would be that you would be prepared to write your manuscript, so a research manuscript uh, that makes publication a little more likely, and to have some idea of what a journal editor, that is me, uh, would be looking for. Um, and I'm going to help you be a little more familiar with what the review process is, at least for JPEG. And then finally, I think the thing that is most difficult and is an ongoing process is that once we submit a manuscript, we think, of course, that it is perfect, but it probably isn't perfect and it probably can be improved. And that's what the, the peer reviewers are uh, helping to do. And so we need to be ready to be humbled and to learn from the comments of the reviewers who review our manuscripts. 
So as I mentioned, I'm going to sort of do two parts as I think about this, and, and as well, since we are a relatively small audience, please feel free to, to interrupt me and ask questions if, if you have them. That would be perfectly fine. So the things that you want to think about before you write your manuscript are, are framing your research question and hypothesis uh, or your objective. You will have done a very thorough literature search and will, from that literature search, then uh, be able to have a bibliography that you can annotate for yourself. You're not annotating it for uh, publication, but you're annotating it for yourself. What did you take from this um, related journal article that uh, may be part of your bibliography? Then um, writing your, your uh, proposal with a good design and, and uh, thinking about who your co-authors would be so you get input from those of colleagues that will be uh, co-authors with you. And, and of course, you'll then complete your study with data collection and a statistical analysis and um, be aware of, as Dr. Biro puts it, data dredging, which increases the type 1 errors, which of course is finding a difference that really isn't there. Next of all, you're going to want to think about who your audience is. Who do you want to read your article? And thinking about where you're going to present the abstract and also what your target journal would be. And so we would love to have you think about it being the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology for our specialty. It is uh, the journal for the North American Society of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology as well as Fiji as well. So we would hope that you would be interested in publishing there. But sometimes that may not be the audience that you're looking for. So another journal you may think about. And at that point, you really want to read the instructions for authors. So every journal has, as a, if it's not a part of every issue, it's typically available online. And so you read what the, um, the editor-in-chief and the, the editors have um, presented as your uh, instructions. How, what do you want the manuscript to look like in the end? Don't wait until the end to do that. You want to read it at the beginning and sort of know what the format is going to be. And if you have any questions, the managing editor of a journal is really the person that you would want to speak with. How do you submit? In what format do you submit it? Those sorts of things. And so you can typically email or, or connect with the, the managing editor to answer questions at that point. You also want to think about who, uh, not only who are your co-authors, but think a little bit about what the order of the co-authors would be. So if you are doing the primary writing, you will probably be the first author. The last author is typically the senior author. And then the authors in the middle, there may be some jockeying for position there. And it's kind of a good idea to have addressed that up front and have things clear and well communicated with your co-authors so that you don't get to the end of things and someone says, oh, I thought I was going to be the senior author, for example. And then you're going to want to, to typically, at least for myself, I set a timeline and give myself a, a, uh, an endpoint that I want to have completed the first draft of the manuscript, and, and then delegating who will write what. So if you have, for example, your statistics person who is helping you with and one of your co-authors, then they will uh, explain the statistics for, for your paper. 
You want to then think about the general sections of the manuscript, so typically a structured abstract with keywords, an introduction, uh, materials and methods, uh, results, conclusions, acknowledgments, disclosure of any conflicts of interest, and so journals are typically asking for this, uh, your references, figures and tables, and, and your statistical analysis as well. So writing the body of the manuscript, Dr. Biro, my, my esteemed colleague, uh, talks about generating the tables and figures from the data initially, and then uh, use those figures to determine what your summary points are, and then drafting the results section using the summary statements. Um, you would want to include your descriptive statistics, the results in order of your primary and secondary aims, and keeping that consistent throughout the manuscript. The results section should highlight what's in the tables, but not repeat it. So sometimes a, a reviewer might come back to you and say, this information that you present in your results section might better be presented in a table, or vice versa. So those are things that you would be thinking about. Once you've done your results section, and um, select only the results that address your question. So don't try to include absolutely everything. It may be that your project or your, um, uh, your research might be appropriate for more than one article. So decide how you're going to be focused in your manuscript. And then incorporate only those results you're going to want to include what is the study design, what was the setting, where was the study done, um, who are in your sample, the approval from the Institutional Review Board and that your, your patients had or your subjects had informed consent. You're going to identify what you're measuring, what were the baseline characteristics, what were the time points where you have data, what are the covariance, and what are the outcomes overall. And then the analytic approach, what models were used, and what statistical software was used, as well as describing your sample overall. Then you'll write the draft of the discussion, and uh, Dr. Barrow very much likes an outline, as do I. I think it helps to keep me on track and to really say ahead of time, what do I want to include in that discussion and, and conclusions. And um, again, um, courtesy of Dr. Barrow, thinking about the first paragraph, which summarizes your most important result. You'll then um, note the strengths of the research. And in the next paragraph, what are the most important results in the context of what has already been published? So where does your research fit in the broader picture? And then you go on in subsequent paragraphs to discuss the next most important results and, and subsequently. And finally, what are the implications of your findings and where are the gaps in the research? So clearly you uh, typically would have identified what more needs to be done to fill in our knowledge about the, the topic. And then uh, the limitations, um, how important are these limitations? How could these be addressed in a subsequent study? And then what are the take-home messages for your reader? So again, all of this courtesy of Dr. Biro. So again, I've mentioned the outline. What are the big picture issues, the knowledge gaps? What are your aims? 
And Dr. Um, Dr. Biro uh, typically writes the abstract first, which is interesting in terms of a summary. Here are your big findings that you include in the abstract. He then goes through and writes the paper and then subsequently rewrites the abstract so that the, the bulk of the paper and the abstract are consistent. But starting with the abstract, which really is a summary and, and highlights what are your key results. At the end, you're going to want to do a spell and grammar check. Please do this. Editor, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real red flag to an editor or a viewer who is looking at your paper and sees multiple spelling errors and, and problems with grammar as well. You're going to want to then, this is your first draft, and realize it is a draft, and you're going to include your co-authors, and they may have written sections. You will be, as the first author, putting it all together. Um, and then you're, you're going to, to put it all together. Uh, Dr. Biro suggests setting it aside for a week or so and then coming back to it so you can look at it with fresh eyes. If we get really enmeshed in writing something, again, we'll be really invested in thinking it's perfect, it can't be edited, and really it's going to need to be revised to come up with the final draft. So uh, again, recognize you will be ultimately, probably before publication, getting input from the reviewers as well who are looking at your paper. Um, you'll, um, at this point, you may identify what the keywords are. You'll, you'll go back and look at your abstract. Um, and then uh, Dr. Biro suggests asking a third party uh, to read this uh, paper for meaning and, and suggests that it might be someone outside of medicine. He indicates that he asked his wife to look at, at the manuscript, and does it make sense? So if you're coming to this from someone outside of the field, is it well explained? And the manus manuscript really should be mostly self-explanatory. And if it's not, if your reader who's outside of medicine says, I'm not sure I understand this, then go back and look at it again and, and see how you could explain it to that person who is not enmeshed in the field. Dr. Barrow notes consistency, consistency, and consistency. So the same order of your aims and your methods and your results and your discussion and your terminology that you're using throughout the paper. So be consistent overall. And then finally, you'll look at, again, at the instructions for authors. And typically, there will be a checklist that you can be sure that you've done all the parts that you need to do uh, before submitting it. The other thing that you'll do, and, and people um, write cover letters with varying degrees of thought. Uh, sometimes it's just, here it is, <laughs> take it or leave it. And that's not really what I want to see when I read over a manuscript. I want you to tell me why you chose the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology for publication and what it is about your findings that make it pertinent to the readers of JPEG. So I think that that's, that's important. What is unique? What, what are you saying that needs to be said about the field and about your research? Recognize that you might be rejected. So all of us have had rejections from varying and sundry journals. And, and uh, typically, I will have my list of journals that I'm going to submit a paper to. 
and my top tier journals that may be aspirational. Uh, so I might think, can this be published in the New England Journal or such um, in nature, uh, depending on the, the uh, type of your research. But then I'll have other journals that, when it's fairly quickly rejected by the New England Journal uh, of not having that broad an impact, then what's my next tier journal that I'm going to, to submit it to? Um, and then you need to edit not only your paper to be in the right format for the journal that you select that may not be your top tier, top of the line journal, but there's nothing worse to an editor. Actually, I, w I won't say that. There are many things that uh, get on an edit editor's nerves. But one of them is when I get the cover letter and it says, I am submitting this paper to the Journal of Adolescent Health. <laughs> and they didn't go back and edit their cover letter uh, to be appropriate to the journal that they are submitting it to, uh, my journal and our journal, uh, JPEG, overall. So, so edit that cover letter, I would suggest. Again, looking at your instructions for the authors in the, the, your second tier or your, your more realistic, I won't say second tier, because much of what we publish in pediatric and adolescent gynecology may not be appropriate for the whole world to see, the whole world of medicine. So the New England Journal is probably not appropriate for most of what I do and write and publish. Uh, but my colleagues and peers in pediatric and adolescent gynecology would be interested in what I'm doing. So, so um, a more realistic journal is the, is the way that I will put it. Uh, and then uh, following all of the steps of the submission process, suggesting reviewers. So who is an expert in the field uh, that your research pertains to? So uh, who would you like to look at it? You can also request that someone in particular not review your paper. If there is a scientific rivalry going on, you might say, I would prefer Dr. So-and-so not review. I honestly don't get very many of those requests. I think pediatric and adolescent gynecology is a, a pretty um, collegial field, and so, so it would be rare for me to see that. But for some high-impact journals, it might be that there is a race in the research and you want to get there first and you would prefer that your rival not review your paper. Although, if they are being fair, they might really then need to say and decline being a reviewer saying that they are working in the same area and are a competitor. So that, that might be a conflict overall. So again, a listing not of how to get it published, but how to get it rejected. So if it is too diffuse, not focused on your topic, if your prose is quite rambling, so if you go on and on and on and are not succinct, if you haven't illustrated points that might best be uh, communicated with a visual image, then that's uh, something that would be a problem. Too many abbreviations, so there are a lot of idiosyncratic abbreviations that authors use, and I find it so distracting when I'm looking at a journal, looking at a submission, an article submitted to JPEG, and they're using an abbreviation that I typically would think of as something else. And they've explained it the first time that they use it in their paper, they've said what they're doing, but it's very distracting to a reader if it's not a standard abbreviation. So be careful about that. 
Um, if your statistics are not appropriate or are inadequate, and so you, you might go back to your colleague who is your statistician and say, are we sure that this was, these were the right statistical tests to do? Too many references or too few references? So think about what is just right, like Goldilocks, not too many and not too few. Um, poor experimental design and if your hypothesis is not clear. And because JPEG is an English language journal, if English is not your first language, then you're going to want to have the paper reviewed by someone who is a native English speaker. So a colleague to look at that and to give you some input on uh, grammar. And if you have a colleague who can do that, ideally it would be someone you know, someone you work with closely, someone who is a, a good colleague or friend who could give you that input. But journals typically, the publishers typically have uh, for a price a service where you can submit your manuscript and have it edited for English language. So uh, that is available, and I give the, the website for uh, Elsevier, so Elsevier is the publisher uh, for uh, JPEG, and the services are available at the website webshop.elsevier.com forward slash language editing services. So take a look on the Elsevier website if, if you need to do that. So uh, again, I'll make a plug for the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology, our journal, my journal, but yours too in Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology. Um, the impact factor, which is a calculation for uh, the number of citations that papers published in JPEG get, um, the uh, impact factor for the last year is 2.298. That's an increase from the past, and I'm proud of that. Uh, so we are having more impact. The journal is being cited uh, more frequently overall. I apologize for the tiny print here. I meant to go back and, and make this in two columns rather than a single column. But you can see um, Australia, um, number of submissions here, um, many submissions from China. Uh, many submissions from India and Italy. Turkey has many submissions as well, and of course the bulk of the submissions from the United States, but we welcome submissions from wherever you may be pertaining to pediatric and adolescent gynecology. The, um, this next slide is courtesy of Andrea Bocelli, the uh, JPEG's Elsevier publisher who I work quite closely with. and, and uh, very, very helpful, and she keeps track of these statistics from Elsevier, looking at uh, downloads, uh, some measures of, uh, of access and access to the journal, maybe through a library and a set of journals, Science Direct as a set of journals, or it may be individual subscribers who are looking at, at the journal. Um, but you, you're looking at, at the number of downloads overall, and, and uh, we can see that the number of downloads has increased over the last several years. This is another picture of where JPEG's uh, submissions uh, come from uh, related to Science Direct and the um, contributions from and submissions from other countries, the United States being about 42%, um, the UK 7%, uh, Australia 5%, Canada 5%, China 4%, and then uh, a number of other countries that are, are lumped in uh, as the rest of the world.
So this is the JPEG website. I would encourage you to take a look at the website uh, and access, and you'll see on the website information, for example, information up at the top about the latest supplement on uh, IUDs and adolescents. So this is a sub supplement that is currently available uh, for you to access. Um, there is what is called a, I think it's called the catalog, although I may be incorrect because I am not as savvy about the website. We do have a, an individual, um, Krista Childress, who uh, pays attention to the website and pays attention to what images come up in that scrolling catalog, I think is what it is called. Um, and then you can scroll down, you can see what articles are in press, what's in the current issue, what are in past issues. And this is um, available to members of NASPAG, and there is a, a special online price uh, for members of Fiji as well. So that's the first part of, of what I want to say, and I'm going to move on a bit to the, the uh, editorial process and the peer reviewer process. So uh, the image that was captured, and this is from online, uh, the young boy who is carrying a, a sign in a march that says, what do we want? The answer is evidence-based science. When do we want it? After peer review. So this is a plug for peer review and the real importance and role that peer rev review serves with a journal. So you may ask me, what do I do as an editor? And the goal of my role as editor-in-chief and the associate editors who work with me is to select manuscripts that have good science uh, and those that we believe merit peer review, we would then send those out uh, for peer review. We select who the reviewers are going to be and in that um, choice we think about who are the experts in the field for that particular submission. We may look as well at what um, reviewers have been suggested by the authors and, and then would, would uh, send out a, a letter to someone as a prospective peer reviewer saying, can you review this in a timely manner and provide your input on the topic. The uh, associate editors, and I'll, I'll go through a kind of a, a timeline and a checklist of what comes to the associate editors and what comes to me, so I'll, I'll focus on that in a bit. But sometimes the reviews are not all consistent, so not everybody says go ahead and publish it right away. They often may have some uh, variations in, in what they say. The associate editors and I uh, will try to reconcile those reviews and then um, get a, send a, a uh, communication back to the uh, communicating author um, with a decision about whether that, that submission will be accepted or um, accepted with uh, major revision needed or minor revision needed or potentially rejected as well, so that, that decision. And at the bottom of my slide, I have a quotation from H.G. Wells. This is actually written on a little pen holder on my desk that says, no passion in the world is equal to the passion to alter someone else's draft. So being an editor is, is kind of fun. You have an opportunity to, to give input and to improve a manuscript. This is a, a slide courtesy of Andrea Bocelli uh, talking about what is peer review. And peer review provides 
researchers with an established process for improving, validating, registering, and preserving their work. It ensures that the best quality papers are selected for publication. Peer review ensures that previous work is acknowledged and cited and promotes ethical standards of publication, helps detect fraud or plagiarism. So every manuscript that is submitted to JPEG goes through an initial screen. It's an automated screen using software, and I, don't, I can't tell you the details of that, but even before I see the manuscript for the first reading, I see a comparison that has been automated that tells me how is this um, too consistent with other publications? So might there be plagiarism? Okay, so that's a check that happens right off the bat, and I am notified about that right away. Other purposes of peer review, improving the quality overall, determining the importance of the various findings. How does the finding from this particular paper fit into the grand scheme of what we know and what we would like to know? Um, the, the process may identify what, what might be errors or mistakes in the methodology or conclusion. So do the author's conclusions, are they not well supported by their data, for example? Are they oversweeping in what they state the conclusions are, the implications of their research? And, and that's not an infrequent thing. What, when we do a project and, and research and we think it's the most important thing because it's the most important thing we've been working on recently, but we might a bit overstate what are the global implications for, for our findings overall. So putting it in some context and then as noted, assessing the originality and significance of the work overall. Interesting, my husband is a philosopher or taught philosophy for a number of years. He's retired from teaching. He's not retired as a philosopher. But it's interesting to me that the first journal with a formal peer review process was the, from 1665, the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society. So peer review and the concept of peer review have been around for a really long time. But the process has been refined over those years and formalized and adapted and, and a little bit different in many publications. There are many uh, similarities, but overall um, the, it's been uh, uh, adapted over time. And the process really very, very heavily relies on the goodwill of reviewers. And it's something that in academic medicine we recognize as a part of what we do. Um, but it doesn't get a whole lot of credit. Um, many, peer rev uh, many reviewers uh, do blinded reviews. Many journals have blinded reviews, and the reviewers are blind to who the reviewers' are, names are published altogether. So JPEG publishes the names of all the individuals who have done reviews for the journal in the last year, and that's um, that's a relatively recent thing that we have been doing that. I don't feel like it's enough for our wonderful reviewers. I'd like to, to give them more credit, but I, I would tell you, take a look at those people who have donated their time and effort uh, toward the peer review process, and that'll be published in the last issue of JPEG um, coming up soon. Um, and so the reviewers really um, commit to critically examine and comment on manuscripts in a, in a fair and unbiased way. 
This is a cartoon that shows a road and a researcher with his manuscript in his hand, and he is navigating down the road uh, to a sign that he sees in the distant future that says paper accepted. And along the route are various and sundry other researchers with baseball bats and clubs and various implements that, um, that are um, foiling the acceptance of the paper, or at least delaying the acceptance down the road of this researcher and his, his paper. And uh, the comment is that authors sometimes experience peer review as distress they need to get through to publish their work. But in reality, it will make your paper better. It will mean that it ultimately, when it comes out in its final version and is finally accepted, it will be better than when you accepted it when you submitted it. So the, the tasks of the reviewer, um, the process is based on trust, and there is a transparency in the process. Some journals now are publishing the names and the reviews of reviewers. JPEG is not doing that right now, um, but some journals are publishing the actual reviews, so you can see uh, who has written what. Um, but the process is transparent. The idea is that it should be impartial and confidential and timely. So um, if you are a reviewer for JPEG or any other journal, you're really committing to reading that paper and carefully reviewing it and giving your comments back to submitting it back through that, the process um, to the authors in a timely manner. And there's typically a deadline that you will be given when you're asking when you agree to review. So that the scientific enterprise depends on the quality and, and integrity of the reviewers. The reviewer should write their reports in a way that is collegial and constructive and not, um, not destructive, not saying, what do you mean you thought this? <laughs> or what, whatever were you thinking uh, to write so-and-so? That's really not particularly collegial. You're doing it in a manner that is helping to the authors to to be able to hear your points. We understand what the authors were trying to say. However, it may not be best conveyed uh, by the sentence as written below. I might suggest an option for editing the following sentence or paragraph or moving this paragraph here or there, or something of that sort, but done with a, uh, a collegiality. And then um, the uh, process is fair overall. So this is an outline of what the JPEG peer review process involves, and it's similar um, in many ways uh, to what happens in, in most journals. But basically, you as an author submit your, your manuscript through the, the website, and it's typically done through a, a, a portal. For example, for JPEG, it's called Editorial Manager is the name of the website. And there are a number of journals, including the Elsevier journals, that use that Editorial Manager website. So you go online, and it walks you through the process of submitting your manuscript. It comes to, and the step that should be in here is that it comes to the managing editor next. And the managing editor goes through that checklist of things that you need to submit. And if you haven't submitted something, if you neglected to submit the conflict of interest statement, for example, the managing editor, the managing editor of JPEG is David Newcomb, and he's fabulous. He's been doing, he's been a managing editor for a very, very long time, and he has taught me a great deal 
about the process. And he does this for a number of journals, including JPEG. But he looks, and, and he may send it back to you to be sure everything is checked off. And the manuscript then goes through the process that I mentioned about looking for plagiarism. But then I get to see your submission. And I read it. And I read every single one. Now, do I read absolutely every word of every single submission? No. I'm some of them speed reading. And some of them I may see right off the bat that this JPEG is not the right journal for this submission. And so I'll say a little more in a minute, but there is something that is called a desk reject or a reject as out of scope. So if someone submits a paper to me that is about obstetrical outcomes for women of all ages, that's not what JPEG is. It is not pediatric and adolescent gynecology. And that's a pretty easy reject as out of scope kind of decision. And so I don't send that to the associate editors. I don't send that to reviewers. JPEG is not the appropriate journal. And the author needs to hear that right away as quickly as possible so they can move on to a journal that is more appropriate. So it's not foiling the, the authors. Um, it's getting it back to them as soon as possible. It's also saving the reviewers time. If I send out something that doesn't merit really a thoughtful review, then that's wasting the reviewers time. So there is that option of a desk reject uh, as well. And so Something being out of scope is a reason that I might do a desk reject. It also might be that the English is not good and, and not really understandable. Thank you very much for the warning. I will move forward because I do want to allow time for questions if, if there are some. Uh, but if, let's assume that uh, rather than rejecting something or something being not appropriate for JPEG, um, I think this is an interesting article. It merits review. So I will then choose one of the associate editors to be primarily responsible for the next steps in the process. So there are a number of associate uh, editors, uh, currently uh, Jennifer Dietrich uh, for gynecology, Paul Wood for gynecology and international um, manuscripts. Uh, Paul will be stepping off the board um, relatively, the associate uh, editorship relatively soon. Um, we have two editors who do and focus on adolescent medicine, and that is uh, Hina Taleb and um, Andrea Bonney. And Andrea Bonney is, is new to our associate editor team, um, but uh, she's, she's fabulous, and I'm excited about that. We will have, as Paul steps off the board, we will have Evelyn Roos. Uh, who will be stepping onto the board in Paul's place as the international editor and gynecology editor. So a really fabulous team of people. So they look at the paper, they select reviewers, they send the paper out to the reviewers. The reviewers do their review, come up with a decision that the, or they are recommending. So the reviewer recommends that, for example, the manuscript be accepted with minor revisions needed. So they would give that decision back to the associate editors. Let's say we have two or three reviewers and they all agree that's an easy decision for the associate editor. They would then say, except with minor revisions. They would then give that decision to me and I will look at the reviews again. Are they consistent? Do they make sense? Do they have helpful comments about what minor revisions are needed? Um, or if it's major revisions, what's needed as a major revision. And then I will, I will give the decision back to the authors 
and then the process goes around again. So the authors, if they choose to do their revisions, will do those revisions, will resubmit it, it will come again to the associate editor who will then look at those edits. And if they're minor revisions, the associate editor might say, the, the authors have done a fine job. I don't have to send it back to the reviewers. If it's major revisions that are recommended, then the associate editors might say, hmm, editor number or reviewer number one thought that significant changes were needed in the discussion. The authors have revised the discussion. I think they've done a pretty good job with it, but probably I'd like reviewer number one to look at it again. And if reviewer number one then agrees, reviewer number one will look at it again and say yes or no, have the authors done what I asked them to do in my review. Um, so that's the process that ultimately the goal is to have the paper accepted, that everyone agrees that this is a good paper and merits publication. So that's the process. I've mentioned the desk reject overall with the goal of, of saving the author's time and the um, reviewer's time as well. Occasionally, um, we will reject without external review. I usually would ask one of the associate editors to take a look at the paper and see if they agree with me that it's uh, not of uh, quality to be uh, submitted. And again, respecting everyone's time. So I've mentioned the reject without review. It might be the wrong journal. There might be English language issues. Um, the science may not be novel. Maybe there have already been 10 case reports of the case that you're trying to report, and yours is kind of interesting, but you haven't told me what's novel, and I'm not sure that it really contributes um, more to the literature. Um, revise, except without revision. Honestly, I don't think I've ever done that yet. I won't say there won't be a time, but it's possible, but that's not a common thing. The except with minor revisions, really means that we want to publish it. it looks, it's looking really good, but there are a few things that might improve it just a bit. So minor revisions, except with major revisions, is a little bigger deal. And you as an author need to think about, are you willing to make those revisions? And if you really think that the readers of JPEG are the right audience, then yes, by all means. We're not telling you that we don't like your submission. But we're saying there are, there are some major things that need to happen with your submission. And so you as author need to think, are you willing to do that? And, and if you are, we welcome your resubmission. We would like to have it, but it's not a guarantee that it's going to be accepted ultimately. So every month I get statistics from the managing editor about the number of submissions and the, um, the um, uh, the time uh, to first reviewer invited, uh, and the submission to first decision, uh, I'm proud that these numbers are less than a month. So I'm looking at it relatively quickly. It's, it's hard when I travel. I've got a, a number of articles in my queue right now that I need to read for the first time, but I've been here in Australia. And so I need to, to log on and, and take a look at those, those submissions. But the um, submission to first decision is on average less than a month overall. The overall acceptance rate is about 35%. Okay, So if you get accepted, then you can be proud of that overall. 
I've mentioned the role of the managing editor as extremely important. So the managing editor keeps the manuscripts flowing. The process is automated to some extent, but I, I absolutely give a lot of credit to our, our managing editor overall. And, and again, I will mention again that the managing editor is the person who answers questions. He answers my questions. He answers your questions as an author. He answers the questions of the associate editors overall. So he keeps things moving and tracks those statistics. What does a reviewer do? We've talked about that overall, but you too could be a reviewer. You are a good teacher and not a critic, um, a good colleague, as we, as we have mentioned. You're not just giving your overall impression. You're not just saying good job without any specifics. And, and we talked to our medical students about how to give meaningful feedback that is timely and appropriate and specific. So the reviewers need to give us specifics to give back to the authors, not just good job or terrible article. They really, not just a, a yes or a no. They need to really look at it in, in uh, clearly and give helpful notes. Um, and then um, the reviewers should uh, ideally respond to every part of the manuscript. Is the title appropriate? Does the abstract give the take-home message? Um, knowing that many readers of your article will only look at your abstract. They are not going to read the whole article, but they will read your abstract. So be sure that it conveys what you want to, looking at the introduction, the materials and methods, the results, and the discussion and conclusions. Um, all of this uh, should be commented on. I've mentioned how do you respond to accept with major revisions. Um, you decide, is it an appropriate journal? You go back to the drawing board. Above all, don't be defensive, okay? Your initial reaction is, how could they reject my perfect, or, or say that I need major revisions to my perfect manuscript? But as we've noted, it probably wasn't perfect and it probably will be improved if you are thoughtful about the feedback that you are getting from the reviewers. And that's really what they're giving you is, is feedback. You need to address every single point that the reviewer makes. You can disagree. You can say, we, the authors, respectfully disagree with the comment number one from reviewer number one. We were trying to do this. We think we did it well. And we would, we would argue to maintain whatever it is that you disagree with the reviewers about. But you need to respond to every one of those points. And then again, the goal is that your article would be accepted. You want to celebrate that. So you'll get that email that says your submission has been accepted. You want to you wanna celebrate that. Share it with your colleagues. Share it with your department chair. Share it with your partner, uh, your husband or wife, or um, someone you care about. Um, publish it and talk about it on social media. If you're someone who tweets, I'm not a tweeter. Uh, but um, if you may want to, to do that, share it with your uh, news department or, or the, the um, uh, public relations people in your institution who may feel that it merits a broader audience in a publication that they might have as well. So spreading the word about your article. So, and there are suggestions for how you do this in your acceptance letter. So the letter actually gives you some thoughts about how you can do that. Um, I have been the editor-in-chief only since 2017. The journal has been around for 
quite a long time. It had a different name for a while. It was a, a Adolescent and Pediatric Gynecology. It became in 95, the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology. Um, became indexed in PubMed uh, thanks to the previous editor, Joe Sanfilippo. Joe was the editor-in-chief for many, many, many years. Uh, and I give a lot of credit, uh, big footsteps and uh, shoes to, to fit when I became the uh, editor-in-chief. This is a little plug for an Elsevier program where they provide free or low-cost access called Research for Life. Uh, access to the content uh, in the least developed countries overall, and JPEG content is available to those countries around the world. So this is our journal overall. This is info about how Fiji members would subscribe to JPEG, and there is a Fiji discount uh, to online only access at the rate of $75, and uh, this information is available uh, on the website. And just a quick plug for the NASPEG Annual Clinical and Research Meeting in April in 2020 uh, in Grapevine, Texas, which is basically a suburb of Dallas, so in 2020. And I thank you all for being a fabulous audience, and I'm happy to take questions. <laughs> Comments, thoughts? Yeah. Question regarding um, pilot work. Yeah. And It's a really good question. So the question is, what about pilot projects that are not huge, but, in, in, but even intended to be a beginning of a project that may inform a later project? Right now, JPEG doesn't have the best uh, format for that. Some journals will uh, allow a letter to the editor to be sort of a, a, a preliminary report. And I kind of like that. So we may at some point move toward that. If you have a question, you can always email me. You can message me and say, do you think this is something that merits a, a full review? And so I'm happy to respond to those kinds of questions on an individual basis. And people ask me. People have cornered me uh, at the meeting here and at other meetings saying, what do you think about this? Is JPEG appropriate? So we'd love to see it. And we might say, you know, looks exciting, but may not quite be ready. Or we might well be willing to, to publish it as a brief report. We don't have that exact format of brief report currently. Good question. Other questions or thoughts? So we ask that, so the question is that with case reports and patient consent, we ask that you have obtained that information along with the guidelines for, from your institution. And so just stating that you have obtained consent from the patient is sufficient. We don't have a standard form for doing that. Right. That is a good question. Yeah. Anything else? Thank you. What's Nicole, what is the best way to reach me? Um, JPEG editor in chief at gmail.com. Thank you for asking that question. I had to think I have several email <laughs> contacts, and that's probably the best one. And this is my license plate. I, 
I am a teen gyno, and I also am from the state of Tennessee, so my license plate T-N-G-Y-N-O. The, the email is jpag, J-P-A-G, editor-in-chief, and it's all just run on, no hyphens or anything else, jpag, editor-in-chief at gmail.com. Great. Thank you all. Well, thank you all for joining us, and we will look forward to posting a new podcast for everyone in January 2020. In the meantime, we wish you all a very happy and healthy and restful holiday season, and we'll sign out with some more penguin noises to close out this podcast. Thanks again. Bye.